0: tonight, uh, chapter 6, making our way through the Bible Sunday nights, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, an announcement for you uh, to let you know of a need uh, on this uh, Sunday evening service while we're turning to that place. If you're here without a Bible, just wave to the men that are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. You'll be fairly lost tonight without a Bible. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, keep that one as a gift from the Lord to you uh, this evening. In our uh, junior high ministry, great ministry, such a pivotal age uh, in life and certainly in walking with the Lord, uh, the junior high ministry is in need of one male and one female small group leader. They'll train you and get you situated to come alongside uh, the junior high students on Wednesday nights, and that commitment would be uh, on a weekly basis, so if the Lord is uh, touches your heart or has been preparing your heart for an announcement like this, uh, and you'd like to serve, just contact uh, the youth office at uh, the church. I'd also like to just pose a question uh, to someone here in the fellowship. Uh, Rochelle, did you remarry this week? Or Michael Leonard, I don't know if you saw. Michael, would you just would stand for me so everybody knows you still attend the church? Go ahead, please is an accommodation to me. Yes, all right, there we go. Um, this, is a, this is a man we have great affection for, and I didn't want any of you thinking that something uh, adverse had happened to him, uh, so, or he'd gotten his new body. I don't know what he'll look like in his new body, but maybe just that. In Ezekiel chapter 6, Uh, We remember as we studied last time that God had given four kind of dramatic signs for Ezekiel to uh, demonstrate before uh, the captives in uh, in Babylon concerning the great destruction and devastation that was going to come upon the city of, of Jerusalem. And uh, as he uh, took and he demonstrated the siege of Jerusalem on the clay tile and then the meeting out of this small amount of bread made of the various grains and the very limited amount of water, the restricted fuel uh, in in the production of food and then the sword that would, in uh, the cutting up of the hair and the beard and, and, uh, and all that it demonstrated. and uh, And in chapter 6 now, God continues kind of His condemnation of Judah's idolatry. So, the judgment that was coming, and now He explains through Ezekiel uh, the reason that the judgment was going to come upon Judah. And then in chapter 7, we have a description tonight of kind of detailing the horror of of that judgment as it would occur. And now, the Word of the Lord uh, came Uh, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And he begins, God begins by uh, denouncing the fact that idolatry, again, we're talking about people in a covenant relationship with God. It is the old covenant. We as Christians, we're under a new covenant. But uh, they are representative or to be representative of Old Testament saints, so this is astonishing this is talking about uh, the equivalent would be like a backslidden uh, Christian and how far they had had backslidden and how how idolatry now fills the entire uh, land and uh, so God is going to bring judgment upon Judah judgment upon Jerusalem not indiscriminately but in order to rid them of of their idolatry. It is interesting to realize that in terms of the history of the Jewish people, that uh, they went into uh, captivity, uh, Babylonian captivity, because of their idolatry. And God took them into captivity. It wasn't just willy-nilly, I'm going to judge them based upon nothing. It was to cure them of their idolatry. And the 70 years that they spent in captivity in Babylon, it cured them of, of their idolatry. The Jewish people would be like any other people in the world, commit many kinds of sins and be made up of di- many different kinds of people, but never again have they returned to idolatry in, in the way that, uh, that they were engaged in at that time. In other words, this judgment was what it was intended to do. Uh, was very hard on a current generation who was uh, guilty and deserving of the judgment, but for the sake of the generations that would follow, it definitely cured them in the way that God desired. But the whole land was filled with idolatry, and so he said, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them, and say, O oh, mountains of Israel, uh, hear the word of the Lord God, and thus says the Lord God, and then here we see it, to the mountains to the hills, to the ravines, to the valleys. I mean, they filled every section of, of the land of Israel uh, with these idols. And he said, uh, indeed, I, even I, will bring the sword against you and will destroy your high places, located in all these different places. In the, in the various idolatry that was engaged in in the ancient world, they believed that certain gods were more powerful in certain Uh, kind of areas. So you had gods that were powerful in the valleys. You had gods who they esteemed to be uh, powerful on the mountains or powerful on the hills. That's why when you read Old Testament history and you would see, for instance, that uh, the children of Israel would defeat an enemy uh, on, uh, uh, in the mountains, that the the armies would come back the following spring or the next opportunity to fight, and they would then fight the children of Israel on the plain because they would conclude that uh, Israel's God is more powerful on the hills, so we don't want to take them on on the hills any longer. We'll go to the valleys. They had these kind of superstitions about uh, about the different kind of forms that land took, and, and they worshiped gods there uh, uh, accordingly. And so the Lord said, indeed, uh, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places, and then your altars shall be desolate. God says, I'm going to destroy all of your idolatrous uh, altars. Your incense altars will be broken and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones all around the altars. The children of Israel would die Uh, at the hands of the Babylonians, and what they did in their final moments was to rush to where their idols were and to be praying in the final moments of their life uh, for uh, these idols to deliver them from the judgment of the Babylonians. And so it tells us a couple of things. Uh, 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 It it is so just as to be uh, uh, magnificently perfect. Uh, and and them being judged by the Babylonians dying at the very feet of the idols that they worship uh, in in exchange for the worship of the Lord, uh, it was a demonstration of the fact that these idols could not protect them in their time of need. And yet God had spoken through Jeremiah for 40 years to them. If they would just turn to Him, this would never happen, that He would protect them. It also tells us how uh, deeply committed they were uh, to this idolatry over the word of the Lord. I mean, they, when in their last moment of desperation, when they had one more decision to make, uh, they did not turn to the Lord. They turned to these idols uh, for deliverance. This is the depth to which idolatry had taken root in the hearts of, of uh, the people of Judah. And not only would God bring judgment against their idols, but also against their cities. And in all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid waste and the high places shall be desolate so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made deceased. Your incense altars may be cut down and your works uh, may be abolished. The The slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am uh, the Lord, and so uh, the idolatry was taking place inside of the homes, not just on the hillsides and the valleys. He said, "I'm going to bring judgment right into your cities, right into your homes, and, and judge that idolatry there." And that's what he did. And again, this is a focus. This is a uh, when God chastens, when God judges, there's a purpose for it. And so when you see there in verse 7, and it's a phrase that's repeated over and over and over again in these two chapters, and the slain shall fall in your midst, and then here it is, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord always prefers among His people, He always prefers that we would know Him and, and honor Him and recognize Him as the Lord. Uh, through the blessings that He promises to bring into our lives if we will simply obey His commandments, commandments that are good for us. But if, if we will not uh, know Him in that way, through His blessings, out of an, of an obedient relationship uh, 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 with, with Him and uh, we determine that we're going to know Him some other way through our idolatry or self-willed life, God is still going to uh, make Himself known to us. Uh, but it is not the way that He chooses preferably. And, but He will do it through chastening, and He will do it through judgment. Again, He is trying to bring these people to turn Uh, back to him and to recognize he is the Lord. He is the only one that is worthy uh, of worshiping. They owe everything to him, and that's what he's trying to… the light that he's trying to get to go on uh, for them. And then uh, that wonderful word yet there uh, in uh, verse 8, yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the country, and so… through uh, the countries. And so God speaks here through Ezekiel of this judgment that's going to be on the countryside. It's going to be in the city of Jerusalem, the other cities. And… but He says, I'm going to leave a remnant. And I'm going to leave a remnant. There's going to be a a, a proportion of the Jews that will survive this, so that they can be then taken into the surrounding countries to then deliver the message to the Jewish people that have already been taken captive, that everything that God said about the judgment that He was going to bring against Judah, that it came to pass. And this this remnant, this godly remnant that He would take uh, to Babylon and elsewhere, uh, the, that would be the group that He would begin to build around in, turn, in terms of turning uh, the hearts of, of the Jewish people back toward God so that at the end of the 70 years of their Babylonian captivity uh, He would be able to bring them back in a very different people, uh, back into the land of Israel, something that at this point in time they have very, uh, it would have very little uh, hope for. And so this speaking of a remnant, uh, God's grace. And then those of you who escape and remember me, among the nations uh, where they are carried captive because, and, and here, here's a reason for the, the judgment, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which departed from me. Now, that's an astonishing thing for God to say. I mean, I, I don't want to pick it a, a wound, and, uh, but think about how crushed a heart is Uh, When a spouse has been unfaithful and the depth of that wound, I think even if it hasn't been something that we've gone through in life uh, to put ourselves in, in the shoes of someone that has had that kind of a violation happen against them, we can just even there imagine the immense hurt. And that's what God describes the hurt of the idolatry of the children of Judah against him. And when in the Old Testament imagery, the imagery is, in the New Testament, we are the bride of Christ. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were the wife of Jehovah. That was the imagery. That was the, the intimacy of the relationship and, the, and their idolatry. It's a funny thing because, you know, we live in this world, and so we begin to view everything in the context of uh, this world. And uh, as the world becomes more and more debased and more and more… Uh, uh, unspiritual and more and more sin-filled. F- we kind of are that that frog in the proverbial kettle that's just slowly being boiled to death. And then it, it takes these revelations in God's Word that helps us to see something from the perspective of heaven. And they had completely lost sight of this uh, and, and and what their idolatry and what their life was doing to the heart of God. A marriage relationship is a very, very vulnerable relationship, and, and for a marriage relationship really to be everything that it can possibly be, and for uh, the love of the other person toward us to be meaningful, there has to be the freedom for them to choose to love us or not. And God comes into this relationship with us, astonishing vulnerability on the part of God that He says, I'm going to have a relationship with you and i 'm going to so invest myself in this marriage, in this relationship with you, and give myself so completely to this relationship uh, that I will make myself vulnerable to a hurt from you that i don 't have to allow that to happen, but I will do that because it 's the only way the relationship can be is intimate and is meaningful to both parties and here they took this condescension of God, this uh, uh, lowering of himself so magnificently in this place to be in relationship with us, and they begin to just treat him as if this meant nothing to him, or that their actions, that there weren't two people in this relationship. And it's good for us to realize that as Christians. We can so often kind of in this I-me-my culture that we live in, we can begin to think of our relationship with God almost solely in the context of what it means to us and forget how much it means to Him and how invested He is in it and how vulnerable He's made Himself in in making this something uh, that could happen. It It is awful the words here that God speaks through Ezekiel, but it reveals something wonderful to us, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and that not that alone, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. And it's the kind of thing where um, if you're kind of got a a husband and a wife, or a guy and a gal, and they're walking down the street, you know, and uh, here he is, he's got this gal on his arm, and as they're walking through the mall or walking in public, and uh, she's giving goo goo ice to every hot guy that walks by and uh, letting them know she's not that committed here. I'm available if you wanted to approach and that kind of thing. And the level of disrespect, I mean, if you have any respect at all, you break up with the guy and go find the guy of your dreams. But to stay in that relationship and then to uh, humiliate the other partner who thinks the relationship is something uh, else entirely is so wrong. And he said, this is what's going on with, with Judah. Uh, they're, uh, you know, making goo-goo eyes, so to speak. I don't know how to say it in, in non-profane ways, you'll excuse me. But this is what they're doing, I mean, and disrespecting the God of the universe, the God that made them a nation, that called them as a people, and uh, flirting with all of this nonsense in the world. And God took note of it, and of course it would break your heart. And so it, it broke His heart as well. And in fact, describes that he was crushed uh, by it. And then he says, though the end of all of this, he says, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they have uh, committed in all of their uh, abominations and he said the day would come when they would loathe themselves for uh, the decisions that that they had made and uh, and then the consequences once the consequences began uh, to come upon them uh, kind of in in their uh, in their fullness the bible does teach that uh, god is he is a jealous god and um, that's a good thing now in the New Testament, the Bible talks about uh, jealousy and envy as being works of the flesh. And, uh, but not all jealousy is unholy and fleshly. Envy is always kind of irredeemable. Envy is when I see you having something and uh, jealousy says, I want that something. Envy says, I can't have it so I don't want them to have it. You can't redeem envy. But there is a sanctified jealousy, and God is a jealous God, and, uh, and He shouldn't have to share uh, us with anyone or anything else in the world uh, in this, uh, this regard. I mean, and for God to share Himself with an idol, with a nothing, with an imagination uh, of people's minds that were, are, are a creation and not even the Creator. Uh, imagine, but they would uh, live long enough to ultimately regret uh, and, and loathe themselves for what it is that that they had done. And when they ended up in the Babylonian in Babylon in captivity, now they got seventy years to think about it and to kind of kick themselves around. But it's part of coming to grips with it. So, man, why didn't I? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I've lost my family, I've lost my home, I've lost the, we've lost the land that God uh, gave to us. And they would just hate themselves for what it is uh, that, that they had uh, done. How could I be uh, so foolish? It is interesting, and, and, uh, and that's a place nobody wants to be, and there's no need uh, to be there. It is interesting there in, in verse 9 that God says, "...they will loathe themselves." Uh, God would be justified in saying, I will loathe them, but he doesn't go there. He said, they will loathe themselves, but even in what they've done, I will not loathe them, and and his concern always to bring uh, to repentance. And uh, And they shall know that I am the Lord, and I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. And then thus says the Lord God, he said to Ezekiel, now pound your fists, and so this kind of thing, and stomp your feet. And so he's stomping uh, feet in order to, uh, again, he's speaking to a very hard-hearted uh, Jewish captives in Babylon in order to get their attention, in order to uh, raise an urgency within, within their heart to take God seriously, uh, finally, finally. So God said, "'Pound your fists, and stamp your feet, and say, Alas for all of the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And he who is is far off shall die by the pestilence, he who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine, and thus I will spend my fury upon them.' And then here it is again, then you shall know that I am the Lord. He'd rather do it the one way, but if he's forced, he'll do it through chastening and judgment. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when their slain are among their idols all around the altars, on every high hill, on all of the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak. Wherever they offered sweet incense to their idols, so I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness towards Dibla in uh, all of their dwelling places. Then they shall know uh, that I am the Lord." And then in chapter 70 he begins to speak to them as this judgment is drawing by the day, by the month. It is drawing closer and closer and closer to uh, Jerusalem, but they're not taking God any more seriously. And so God begins to speak to them about an end. The end is coming. Uh, you can't just listen and ignore the message forever. When I promise judgment, every day brings the judgment closer. And, and so, the, the repetition of the word and end and end and end all the way uh, through, this, uh, through this chapter and then detailing the horror of, uh, of the invasion ultimately. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, And you, son of man, the, thus says the Lord to the land uh, of, uh, of Israel, An end, an end has come upon the four corners uh, of the land, talking about uh, the entire land. Uh, Now the end has come upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. That word repay is going to be repeated in a moment, but what it speaks about is the fact is that God is merely giving them what he had promised in the law would come their way if they uh, uh, delved into idolatry in the way that they did. This was, again, not an indiscriminate judgment on God's part. It was something that he was forced to uh, repay them with, and so he did. I will repay you for all of your abominations, my I will not spare you, nor will I have pity on you, but I will repay your ways. Again, that word repay, just speaking of the justness of the judgment, and your abominations will be in your midst, and then you shall know that I am Uh, the Lord. And so he warns, and he warns, and warns over and over again, and end, and and, end. Thus says the Lord God, verse 5, a disaster, a singular disaster, a notable. Behold, it has come, an end has come, the end has come. It has dawned for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you. You who dwell in the land, the time has come, the day of trouble has come, and not of uh, rejoicing in the mountains, and so uh, the end would come. So when God warns, and He warns, and He warns, and He warns, and then one day there comes the time which He ceases to warn, and now He simply does what He has warned that He would do. The Bible says that God will not always strive with man. And when God warns and He warns and He warns and He warns, and even a Christian in a backslidden uh, condition, He is so patient, He can warn for so long, uh, that one of the real self-deceptions that we can get into is that, oh, those warnings are just something He puts on a page because that's the kind of stuff you expect God to say, but he's, He means it. And then, and then one day uh, the judgment comes. The, the, as, as he spoke to one of the churches in the Revelation, he said he was giving them space to repent. But one day the space would be over. And, and then he would judge them. I think about Samson related to all of this. And Samson playing with sin, playing with his anointing, playing with his calling, and just doing all of this nonsense. Uh, when, when I was a young boy, I used to collect comic books. And uh, and I still study them uh, to this day for uh, sermon content, and that's why I'm doing it. Uh, but uh, but my my stepdad, he had this. He was worked at Travis Air Force Base, and for some planes or whatever, they had a bunch of comics, and they'd run uh, always be updating them for I don't know what flight I don't or, or the servicemen I don't know what. Was, and uh, but one of them uh, of the comics was uh, had a character named Baby Huey. And you might remember him. Maybe not. I'm wasting your time here. But he, uh, just this big dope. And here you've got this strong man. I mean, incredible anointing upon his life and all, but he's a spiritual dope. And, uh, and that's what Samson reminds me of. And he just thinks God is never going to do what he said. God's never going to do what he's warned me to do. He plays, he plays, he plays. And then what happens? Then one day... Uh, you know, Delilah uh, cries out to him, his hair has been shaven, he jumps up and he expects that he's going to have the same strength and the same power and the same authority that, he, that he's always had during this period of grace in God in his life that God was giving him to, in order that he might repent, and he stood up, and then one of the most tragic sentences in the world, in, in the whole Bible, was that he did not know that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. And it happens just that fast. And that was what was going to happen. And God was telling them that, that there will be a day when these will no longer be prophecies. They will happen. And, he, and again, the urgency he's trying to get through to them uh, uh, with uh, the, the fact that the end is coming. And verse 8, Now upon you I will soon pour out my fury. And I will spend my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways. I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways. In other words, again, this is I'm giving you what I said I would give you in the law if you ever became this kind of people. And I will repay you according to your ways, and your abominations will be in uh, and your abominations will be in your midst. And then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. Again, He wants to know them. He wants them to know that He is the Lord God on the basis of blessing them uh, and, and, and an obedient life with Him. And uh, but if he 's forced to let them know that he alone is God by virtue of judgment, then he will do that. and every one of us chooses how God is going to manifest his, uh, his sovereignty, his authority, his glory, what He is rightfully due uh, of us, but it will be uh, the one or, or, or the other. And in that day, uh, all of their uh, pride and their arrogance is going to uh, disappear. He said, behold the day, uh, it has come, uh, doom has gone out, the rod has uh, blossomed, uh, pride has budded, and so the arrogance and the pride of the Jewish people at this time of just thinking we can poke God in the eye with our sin, we can live however we want to, and uh, and t- taking the, the kind of the front seat or the steer control uh, steering wheel of the relationship and, uh, and replacing God in that position just the, the, the worst expression of pride and, 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 and arrogance uh, that, that was in the land, all of it the, the pride and the arrogance just being revealed in how wantonly and openly they engaged in, in idolatry and disobedience violence has risen up Uh, into a rod of wickedness, none of them shall remain, none of their multitude, none of them, nor shall there be a wailing for them. And so God would bring a a judgment on their arrogance and on their pride. And boy, do we uh, live in an arrogant culture and a proud culture against God. I'm not going to get into it right now, but I mean, the way people are poking God in the eye… And uh, this, ju- this governor in Virginia, I, could, I can't even believe that a guy can have an interview like that and then sit down and talk on a radio show uh, about the fact that this new bill related to abortion that he supports and wanted passed that would not only allow abortions through the third trimester, that would allow the child to be born. Oh, and yes, we'll keep the child comfortable while the parents then decide at that time whether they want to keep the child or not, or whether we kill it now in that room. And he sits there so calmly and, and as if he's talking about a tuna fish sandwich, or he's talking about where he's going to go on vacation. It's a life of a human being. He does not even know he is a monster. And I don't know whether it's a seared conscience or whether a person can come to believe that this is something that would be acceptable in any generation. It is important to realize, I'm not on a rant. I'm just engaged in the subject. But it is important to realize that at this point in human history, In the United States of America and in the Western world, we have gone where no culture has ever gone in history. In redefining marriage for all of the decadence, for all of the debauchery of the Roman Empire and the other empires, no one would have even thought of redefining marriage let alone what we do to children in their womb because we can't hear their screams and because we have the technology to do it. And the arrogance against God and, and coming out of a, a, a disbelief in God. And I look at what I see going on and I say to myself, y- you, uh, you do these kind of things because you don't believe in God. You better hope there isn't any God based on what you're doing. The only problem is, is that I know there is. And trouble is coming. The, the Judgment is so overdue for our world, like never before in history. And I'm on tiptoes waiting for the Lord's return. I'll take a revival as well. But for us to realize, this, we're on ground that no people in the history of the world have been on before in terms of arrogance and the pride of man, and, and, and poking God in the eye. And the time has come, the day, day draws near, and uh, let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, uh, for wrath is in their whole multitude. In other words, God is saying, their bustling economy is not going to save them from this judgment. It is going to to come, and the seller shall not return to what has been sold, though he may still be alive, for the vision concerns the whole multitude, and it shall not turn back. No one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. No one can make themselves strong enough in iniquity to resist God when that judgment comes. They put their uh, trust in their military. Oh, I know we're far away from God. I know that we're moving away from Him. I know that we don't care about Him. We don't obey His commandments. We don't uh, give any, pay any heed to the foundation that He is to our greatness and all. But we don't have to worry about His judgment. We've got a great military. And so uh, they have blown the trumpet and have made everyone ready, but no one goes to battle. For my wrath is on all their multitude. The sword is outside, and the pestilence and the famine within. And whoever is in the field will die by the sword, and whoever is in the city, famine and pestilence will devour him. And those who survive will escape and be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, each each for his iniquity. Every hand will be feeble. Now talking not about... uh, 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 just a shopkeeper in Jerusalem. Now we're, this is talking about the military, uh, the Jewish, uh, uh, of Judah's military. Every hand will be feeble and every knee will be as weak as water. Uh, God is saying, you want to trust in your military? I can can take your Navy SEALs. I can take your special forces and I can uh, scare them to such a degree that they uh, look like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. And God can do it because every one of us has a threshold and a limit. And when God lets go of His judgment, it ought to scare everyone, and it will. It called the great tribulation. And so, and they, this great army that they were trusting in, will be girded in sackcloth, talking about after their defeat and taken into captivity. Horror will cover them. Shame will be on every face. Baldness on all of their heads. In other words, their, uh, their head and their uh, beards would be shaved in, uh, by their captors and is a, a sign of, of mourning. And they will throw their silver into the streets. Their gold will be like refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Uh, they will not satisfy their soul, uh, so- souls nor fill their stomachs because it, be- uh, it became their stumbling block of iniquity. God said, every single thing that you have left me for in life, you will lose, and I'm going to make sure of it. I am not going to let uh, idolatry prosper. I'm not going to let this happen uh, among my people. Uh, And so that he warns them that uh, every single thing that, that they've abandoned God for is going to fail them and, uh, and all of it is going to be lost. The fact of the matter is concerning every single person in the world. There's only two things we're going to take out of this world. And what we're going to take out of this world is our relationship with God and the reward of our service uh, to Him uh, during our pilgrimage here. Everything else is uh, com- completely uh, lost and uh, and they're going to lose everything as well. A, a horrible kind of bargain that they had that tried to to strike, and uh, and it, it it's going to be an awful awful day when when the light goes on for him. And as for the ornaments, uh, as for the beauty of his ornaments, and now he's talking about the fact that this judgment is going to be a day when all of their hypocritical uh, religious worship is going to be uh, exposed and of no help. Uh, as for the beauty of his ornaments, he said it in majesty, uh, but they made it uh, from the images of their abominations, their detestable things, and therefore I have made it like refuse to them. I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers, and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they shall defile it. I will turn my face from them. And they will defile My secret place, speaking of the Holy of Holies, uh, in, in the temple, for robbers shall enter it and defile it. And God says you, to the, the Jewish people, you think that, they, that you cannot be judged and that the Babylon, Babylonians cannot take Jerusalem because the temple is in Jerusalem. And as, and as bad as you are, you, uh, that God would never allow uh, the, the Babylonians to take Jerusalem because of the temple. God says, I'll tell you what, it's going to be worse than that. This temple is not going to protect you because it has nothing to do with me anymore. And not only will they take Jerusalem, but they will take this temple and Babylonian soldiers will walk into the very holy of holies because I'd rather have that than this continuing sham of uh, Saturdays coming to worship me at the temple, and then the rest of the week is given to idolatry. I'd rather have the one over the other. And it's going to be that kind of a wake-up call uh, to the Jewish people who had all of this upside down. And he talks here about the ornaments and and uh, all of the different vessels that were involved in the worship of the Lord. And we know from Daniel's uh, prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar uh, did uh, go in, uh, take the temple, take out all, uh, so many of the plates and so many of the dishes and the bowls and everything that were used in the worship of the Lord because Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, you remember on his many meeny meeny Tekel ufarsan night, Uh, His grandson decides to have this big kind of party uh, and uh, and drunken uh, party with all of his nobles and everything, and he invites all of them to come in, and and as if uh, that wasn't bad enough, he decides he's going to poke God in the eye, and he orders all of the different vessels that were taken by his grandfather from the worship of the Lord. Uh, in Jerusalem and to bring those things into the party and we're going to serve uh, wine in this party out of those vessels. And when he did that, uh, God writes with a, uh, with a finger on the wall, "Meeny, meeny, tekel you farce and you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting and you're going to be judged. And Mr. Hotshot Blasphemer uh, of God all of a sudden can't keep his knees Uh, from knocking against one another. And it was God's way of coming into that scene and reminding Belshazzar and everybody else in the world that just because you defeated my people does not mean you defeated me. And you only defeated them because of their disobedience to me. And he drove home the point uh, very, very well. But here is the picture of where those vessels came from. And he said, make a chain, for the land is filled with uh, the, the crimes of blood, and the city is full of violence, and therefore I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they shall possess their houses, and I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction comes. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster. Rumor will be upon rumor. And then they shall seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. Then they'll want to hear from God. Uh, Jeremiah speaks for 40 years, and nobody wants to hear him. Now they'll want to hear from him, but God won't speak to them. It's a precious thing to hear, uh, the voice of God, even when it's a voice of judgment calling me uh, to repentance. The king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. In other words, God says when this judgment comes on Jerusalem, no one will escape. No amount of power, no amount of title, no position uh, within society, whether you're at the highest position or the lowest position, nobody's going to escape this because the idolatry uh, filled the entire uh, city. And I will do to them according to their way and according to what they deserve. I will judge them, and then here it is again, and then they shall know that I am uh, the Lord. Uh, Quickly into uh, chapter 8. And it came to pass in the sixth year and in the sixth month on the fifth day of the month as I sat in the house with the elders of Judah sitting before me. So Ezekiel is in his house on this particular date now uh, months uh, after his uh, first kind of uh, beginning his, his public ministry and his commissioning. Uh, they come in the elders do, and they sit before him, and evidently now they 're recognizing that he really is a prophet on some level and after he 's delivered the prophet, uh, prophecies of six and seven, also four and five, uh, their concern now is they come they come to Ezekiel wanting some revelation from him from God, and uh, probably the revelation they want is not concerning the future of Jerusalem, he's made that very clear. The question that probably fills their mind is, are we going to survive as a people? Uh, What is the future of the Jewish people? Is there any hope that we will ever be restored to the land uh, after this? But whatever the case, they sit before him and they want to hear something. Uh, from God. And as they're sitting before uh, Ezekiel, uh, the hand of the Lord uh, fell upon uh, me there. And so whatever happened to him when he received these visions, it is a vision. We'll see that in a moment. And he starts to go someplace uh, with God. And they know, okay, uh, God is going to speak to us here. And then I looked as as the vision is occurring. Ezekiel says, I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of His waist downward fire, and from His waist upward, like the appearance of the brightness, like the color of amber. And so he is once again seeing God in His glory, uh, as described in chapter 1, when we studied that to begin with. He doesn't go back into all of the details of it, because it's already in chapter 1. But he has a fresh vision of God, His power, His sovereignty. And then... He, that is the Lord, stretched out the form of a hand, and He took me by uh, the lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between uh, heaven and earth, and He brought me, here it is, in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court associated with the temple, where uh, the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes To jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw uh, on the the plain. And then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now uh, toward the north. And so I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. And so the gate that Ezekiel is brought to by way of vision here, his body is still in, in, in Babylon. But by vision, he's taken into Jerusalem and he sees this image of jealousy and and it's located at the as he describes it here at the northern gate of the inner court of the temple at the entrance of uh, the altar gate there were three uh, gates that opened to the outer court and into the inner court and this was the entrance into the inner court of the temple area that was used by uh, royalty when they would come to worship probably the image that had been brought into uh, this area of of the temple uh, grounds was an image of Asherah. Uh, King Manasseh had set one up uh, earlier in uh, in uh, uh, Judah's history. It was later removed by godly King Josiah. Uh, who, who destroyed it in his uh, reformation associated with his his reign, but it, it isn 't unlikely at all that this is what reappeared once again in, in Judah in kind of the final days of their wickedness. Asherah was the Canaanite goddess of lust or love, and the worship of her was marked by completely unbridled, shameless. Sexual immorality of every kind, you can do the study on your own i won 't go into it any more graphically than that and that was done in the vicinity of of an idol associated with Asherah. and and, and they brought that image into the area of the temple and, and that, that 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 image would uh, exist within the temple grounds, and the, and the idea that they would think that somehow that is okay is absolutely astonishing. And it speaks of how far uh, the priests and the prophets and, and the people had gone and how they'd fallen uh, spiritually. And it's called a, the image of jealousy again because it's an affront to God. It was, a, it was an insult to God. that that they would have such a low view of him that they would think that he would be willing to share his temple with this thing that he calls an abomination. The heavens and the earth belong to him. The whole world belongs to him. Israel belongs to them. Jerusalem belonged to him. The temple belonged to him. All of it belonged to him. And the idea that, that people would think that somehow uh, God was going to be able that somehow they had worked some negotiation between the God of the Bible and, and, uh, and, and, and all of these other gods that this was all going to work out uh, just fine that the God of the Bible was, was going to be okay uh, with this I mean astonishing uh, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 the Lord spoke through Isaiah and said I am the Lord that is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And that's what they were doing anyway, violating the first two of the Ten Commandments in doing this. I mean, the hard-heartedness is, is, is just uh, shocking. And then in verse 6, furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? the great abominations that uh, the house of Israel commits here. Uh, they committed right in, my, uh, in the area of my temple to make me go far away from my sanctuary. Think about this. It, it, they brought these idols into what would be like the church. I mean, but even more so in terms of the temple representing the very presence of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, today. But, uh, but they brought these things in, and by virtue of bringing these idols in, they were driving God out of his temple, uh, and, and God was going to vacate it. And of course, the, the New Testament application for us is because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it is possible through idolatry, through protracted sin, and, and these kind of things to uh, grieve the Holy Spirit ultimately, and then quench the Holy Spirit to drive the fullness of the Holy Spirit off of my life. If I get become Mr. Big Shot in my relationship with God and think I'm the one that's running this thing and think that God is supposed to share my life with just anything and everything I pour into my ears and into my eyes and allow into my heart, God says, you may fool yourself, but you don't fool me. And what will happen one day is you'll turn around and you'll see that you've driven me right out of of your life. Not in terms of salvation for a Christian, but in terms of the fullness of His presence resting uh, uh, upon uh, our lives. They're pushing God uh, uh, out of uh, the one place in the world that was to be uh, completely and totally His. And so He brought me uh, to the door of the court And uh, and rather, at the end of verse uh, 6 there, turn again, and you'll see even greater abominations. And so you think it couldn't get any worse. It was worse. And he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And I dug into the wall, and there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. And so I went in, and I saw and there, every sort of creeping thing, uh, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house uh, of Israel, portrayed around on the walls. And so here he he, he goes into this secret chamber, and in this secret chamber, um, uh, not in uh, the area of the Philistines, but in the grounds of the temple. And in this chamber, all of the gods of the Egyptians are represented on the walls. And you remember at this particular point in time, uh, Judah is turning to Egypt now in an attempt to get Egypt to come in and deliver them uh, from a Babylonian uh, attack. And so apparently they think to themselves, all right, if we need Egypt to help us here, then we need uh, to worship the gods of Egypt as well. And so that's exactly what they were doing, right on uh, on the church grounds all of this uh, uh, portrayed uh, up upon the walls and and and, uh, and the worship going on there and there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel these are the, among the highest religious leaders in Judah at the time And it wasn't some kind of uh, small group of people in some, you know, satanic sect at the edge of town in Jerusalem. These were the spiritual leaders of the nation. Imagine in the temple, worshiping the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt that when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he Expose exposed the gods of Egypt in those ten plagues that he used to secure uh, their deliverance. Every one of those plagues wasn't a plague that God just pulled out of his hat. Every one of them was a display of God's power against ten different gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And to show that none of those gods individually or together could keep God, the God of the Bible from doing precisely what he wanted. And now, at this time in their history, they have abandoned the worship of that God and turned to the gods that couldn't keep hold of them in their bondage in Egypt. They've forgotten their history. They've forgotten the miracle of their salvation. They forgot the bondage that they were once in in their lives—a bondage that only God was able to deliver them from. And now, from the spoiled blessings of that relationship with God, they return back to uh, all of this nonsense. And 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 again, the leaders engaged in this. And in their midst stood uh, Je- Z- Zaniah, the son of Shaphan. And each man had a censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. When he talks about uh, uh, Jaazaniah, the son of Shaphan, Shaphan was uh, uh, one of the cabinet members for godly King Josiah. And so here is his son now, one generation later, with this incredible godly heritage. And he is among the 70 and, and it, 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 that's going on. And, and, he, and Ezekiel mentions him by name because it's shocking to him. And, and, and he makes mention of the, the, the incense going up, the incense representing their prayers. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? And they thought they were in the dark, every man in the room of his idols. For they say, the Lord does not see us, and the Lord has uh, forsaken the land. So the people were engaged, these men were engaged in worship because they thought if they did it in a secret place, in a dark place, that, that God wouldn't see it. But the Bible says everything is open and naked before Him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. The old saying related to who and what we are at our core, any one of us, is, it goes something like this, that what we really are is what we are when we're alone in the dark. And that's the truth of the matter. And this is what they were alone in the dark very far from how they portrayed themselves at the Jewish worship services. This is what they really were. And, and they gave the excuse that uh, God, uh, God doesn't see us, and, uh, and any time you lose the consciousness of the presence of God in our lives, we're going uh, we're, we're to get into trouble, and they did. But they said, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord, He has forsaken the land. It's this kind of goofy thing that gets flipped on, on its head uh, in, on things. They began to engage in sin, and the more they began to engage in sin, uh, the more God began to chasten them and began uh, to uh, judge them. And, uh, and, and then the judgment got harder, and it got stronger, and it got stronger, and pretty soon they, they decided, well, God, uh, God isn't real. Uh, God isn't what He says that He is in the Scriptures. And what they don't realize is, is that God was as real as He had ever been. Uh, but what, what was happening was in their disobedience to Him, in their relationship uh, with Him, uh, God had was forced to uh, move further and further away from them and chastened them, and the Spirit grieved, and the Spirit quenched, and so forth. And it's a funny thing, and here's another deception, self-deception that can occur, where a person begins to play fast and loose with God, and the relationship with God begins to disobey Him, and, uh, and then begins to fully, you know, full-on backslide uh, 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 against, uh, against God. And then those consequences of their backsliding, the chastening of the Lord begins to come into their life, And they come to the conclusion that what it means is God isn't real, when it actually means God is more real than they could realize, because He had promised that He would judge… He had promised that He would do exactly to them what He was doing as an evidence of His reality. We play these funny old games uh in in our heads, and this is uh, the idea of what it is that 's going on and i and, and 'm out of time now and uh, and uh, in terms of uh, uh, Ezekiel being led by the lord into into things that are even worse, but we'll stop there tonight at, at verse twelve and and pick up verse thirteen uh, next time and so the the, the Beautiful, beautiful passage, uh, uh, and, and the theme all the way through what we're looking at here tonight. You put yourself in the place of God, and, and the sacrifice that he makes to bring us into this relationship, and his, his number one desire, his, his plan A, what he longs for, and it's not just good for us, it, it, it's what he wants to do for his own heart is he wants to reveal himself as the God who is God. And he wants to do it supremely by blessing our simple obedience to his commandments. And yet, if he's not allowed to do that, and we backslide and we push against and go in the, in the direction the children of Judah went in, then he will still demonstrate his greatness in his life and that he alone is God, but it'll be in the form Of of judgment, but ultimately it it, it brings a person back because you can't win in a fight with God, and that's a wonderful thing. None of us can win in a fight with God, and and so uh, how God is going to reveal His greatness and His reality in our lives is always going to be one of two ways. He prefers the first, uh, but when He's forced, He'll do the second, and each of us chooses in our lives uh, which which one of those paths. We're going to force uh, God on. Isn't it wonderful to be able to know Him and to walk with Him and uh, to see the quality? I'm, I'm done, but I got one more thing to say. I pinch myself every day for the quality of life that I get to live as a human being, that I know I would not have come within a... 10,000 miles of apart from God. What a privilege it is to know him and, and to obey uh, his commandments and the richness of his blessings upon our lives. The worship team will come forward and close us up in a song. And if all of us would stand, I'll close us up in prayer uh, prior to that song. Father, we see the t- same trends in our culture and in our nation as we see on the pages of your Scripture. And worse than that, we see, Lord, the increasing idea that you aren't a jealous God and that somehow it ought to be acceptable that um, you share our lives with anything and everything that we choose to bring into them in addition to you. And Lord, we just see the affront that that is tonight. We thank you for your jealousy, a holy jealousy that speaks of how deeply and and heart committed you are in this relationship with us. And we just pray tonight as we look at this passage that if there's any monkey business with sin, anything where we're, we're defining our Christianity on our own terms or even what other Christians are doing, apart from Your Word, that we wouldn't leave this place tonight until our hearts are completely owned by You and sanctified to You, Lord. We know they're blood-bought, but we also know our capacity to bring idolatry into this blood-bought life, and we pray that no idol, no sin, Lord, would survive the strength of Your Word tonight in any of our lives. We thank You for the privilege of having Your Word and then the added privilege of being able to obey it and to see what You will turn a life into as a result We bless you, each one of us, Lord, as Christians, for the life that we have the privilege of living. And we bless you and thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.